Welcome to the ITAM Review Podcast, news, reviews and resources for ITAM, SAM and software licensing professionals. Hi everyone, thank you very much for joining us for another ITAM Review Podcast. I'm Rich Gibbons and joining me today is Simon Lutie, the founder of Livingston. So thank you very much for joining us, Simon. Um, would you like to introduce yourselves for the, for the audience? I certainly would, and thank you very much for having me, Rich. Um, yes, my name's Simon Luty. I was the founder of Livingstone um, 12 years ago, um, and uh, I've been working in the IT industry, broadly focused towards licensing and SAM for the last 20 years, um, and had a number of hats within the organisation over the last decade, but broadly focused at the moment around supporting our sales efforts Um, running a team of solution architects, helping us build solutions, work with existing customers, promoting our services to um, to new prospects and generally trying to evangelise the market um, and then obviously evangelising Livingston at the same time. Awesome. Thank you very much. So 20, yeah, that is, uh, you've seen plenty of things then uh, in your time. Um, And and I assume you must have been about, what, seven when you started? (laughs) You're too kind. Yes, yes, I have. I mean, I, I, I started my career actually at Microsoft. And so I had an introduction to the market with obviously, you know, one of the, the largest publishers in this space. Um, and it was a very, very different world as it relates to everything, Rich. I mean, we were back there trying to sell EAs, promote Microsoft technologies to customers. And, and Sam Broadly wasn't necessarily a thing. You know, that that was all on-prem technology. It was all licensing. It was all EAs. It was all SQL and SCCM and all of the the same players, I suppose, but being provisioned in a completely different way. Um, And that really taught me what companies are interested in, what they spend money on. Um, But it hadn't quite introduced me to how much extra money they were spending (laughs) than they needed to. So so I suppose you could almost say, I didn't spend a great deal of time with Microsoft. After that, I went to work in the channel. So our key responsibility was selling as much software as possible to customers. And and broadly, what we realized is we had no idea what they needed or what they they were currently running. Um, And nor did they. So, So it was building these portfolios of services and software and agreements and then getting people interested in a relationship so they would transact with you. But there was this huge black hole as to what they actually needed, what they were running, whether they were compliant um, and whether these things were fit for purpose. But but in that community, obviously the the key job here is is revenues, right? So so you could almost consider me to be a bit of a poacher turned gamekeeper, Um, (laughs) but, but quite quickly we found ourselves partnering with companies around software asset management so you, so you could consider it was broadly in its infancy um, and that would that would almost be 20 years ago those were the days rich that you would remember that centennial was the hot product oh uh, yeah software organizer you know bcs that kind of stuff um, and those tools were were really the introduction to sam and what we realized by partnering on some of those services is they could be an awful lot better and they could be an awful lot strategic. The market back then was broadly around inventory data. That that was considered to be SAM. 
you know, Centennial wasn't the Snows and Flex areas or Sam Pros of today. Um, it was a reasonably rudimentary inventory tool, but, but that was the first time people were trying to work out what they actually had deployed on their devices. Um, and by having a bit of access to that space, we started to identify an opportunity here, which is these people need some help working out what to buy. And obviously us selling it to them as a reseller probably isn't the right model <laughs> because, because we have a great intention there to try and reduce our fees or reduce the, the margins that we have or, or the volumes of software. Well, it wasn't necessarily of interest to us, but, but we did start to identify a gap in the market. And that, that's kind of how I broke into this space, Rich, really just by having a bit of access to it, understanding some of the customer challenges that we had, knowing that where I was working at the time really wasn't solving for some of those problems. And obviously with a market in its infancy, if you think about an addressable market for, for software asset management, the question to the customer is, do you have software? And the answer is yes to every client. So that, that's really what piqued my interest. Um, and those were the, the, the really rudimentary services, you know, trying to cut a single ELP for a publisher was broadly something a customer had never even seen. And that was Sam. That was, that was what it was all about. Go deploy inventory, try and work out how to cut an ELP, look at your statement, um, find out that you've introduced a huge amount of commercial risk into your organization and then start to give some recommendations on how to remove it. And that is still a big part of services today, but it's just one component part. Whereas, you know, 20, 15, 20 years ago, that was kind of everything. Protect me from an audit, stop these negative experiences, um, and usually do that on a one-off basis. Ma managed services didn't even exist. The first time I ever saw a managed service was the first time I sold one <laughs> in the business before Livingstone uh, because, because it just wasn't a model that anybody was operating. Um, uh, but, it, but it was obviously key to identify. The, the way that we used to work this out, Rich, was people would, they would invite us back in for a, a compelling event. So let's say it was a renewal or let's say it was an audit. And you'd give a bunch of recommendations on how to reduce risk and improve processes and obviously try and optimize cost. And then we would come back a year later and it got worse. You know, all, all of those recommendations, once that compelling event had disappeared, the recommendations just went into the ether. Risk had got worse. No one had optimized them, the contracts or reduced the cost. More and more risk was introduced. And it was just, it was just worse and worse. So that tactical model was very interesting at the point in time, but it, it just wasn't fixing the problem. It was just highlighting it. And, and sometimes I think about this market in that way, if you're not doing it properly, bro broadly what you're usually telling somebody is, here's all the mistakes you've made and this is how painful it's gonna be to fix those mistakes. And what we're starting to see is the market matures and obviously the service providers get better and the technology gets better. Can we stop that stuff from happening in general? Can we change the dimension of SAM from a mistake that you're making today or that you've been making for the last 10 years? where the market is now going and, and what I think people are really interested is stop me from making the mistakes um, and work with me to ensure that we, we don't introduce risk. Um, and obviously, whilst you're at it, can you help us try and right-size our contracts and optimise our costs? That, that broadly is where managed services were born, in, in my opinion. But back then, you know, back, back then all that time, sound managed services wasn't necessarily a thing. Um, and there, there wasn't a great deal of sophisticated solutions. So, that's a, uh, that's a very um, rambly answer to quite a direct question. I've seen an awful lot, Rich, um, in, in the market in general, 
um, and obviously specific around the the niche that we operate in and that I operate in. Um, I think it's it's becoming more and more modern, more and more sophisticated, and obviously with that modernization and sophistication, um, it's becoming more valuable to customers. You know, I I think this market's never been so robust, and there's still a huge addressable market out there. Not everyone's doing this properly. In fact, very few people are doing this properly. And you would still be surprised at how many companies don't have anything. You know, very large organizations, hundreds of millions of pounds, dollars or euros worth of spend. And they, they still haven't cracked this nut. And that, that's why we still like the market. There's, there's still a huge opportunity here to bring people along with the journey, um, and deliver these solutions and, and obviously obtain them value. Because if you've never had visibility and you've been blind in all of those decisions, um, we can shine a light and uh, uh, obviously help people make better decisions with better data and, a, and some expertise. Absolutely. I mean, I think you made several great points there, which we're, we'll try and, and pick up on as we go through. Um, I, I think the point there about companies not getting it right, that, that is something exactly as you said, which continues to surprise me. So I used to be a reseller many years ago as well. And as I kind of got more into the, the proper ITAM world, I kind of had a, a sort of ranking in my head where I thought, right, you know, any company of this size, obviously you've got it all sorted. And and if anything, it was the other way around. Yes. Um, and that I, I still, it still baffles me a little bit now. Um, and I, I think, you know, one of the things with ITAM, it's it's never done and it and it never stays the same um i'm thinking back to my reseller days you know we did a lot of uh, servers sort of hardware and then virtualization came along and you know it was a real shift and and i i didn't really think about asset management at the time mm. but i think you know that move to virtualization even if you'd had everything perfect before virtualization as soon as that comes into your organization, in many ways, I suppose you kind of you were back to the beginning um, of you know asset, asset management. You need new processes, you need new governance, the new tools, um, and you know cloud, SaaS, etc. It just keeps shifting. Yeah, we're, we're going we're going for another cycle, and and for anybody who works in this space, I will extend my sympathy because when a company latches onto a disruptive te technology like virtualization or cloud the impact it has on everything else is at best an afterthought <laughs> you know if you think about real transformation in a business those disruptive technologies acquisition divestment how many people get that right before they make the change very few because they're going after a big ticket right so if you want to virtualize you're getting out of the hardware game um, or broadly out of the hardware game. But what you've forgotten is <laughs> when you virtualize this Oracle database, you're introducing $100 million worth of risk. No one does those assessments up top, which tells me there's still a journey to go on here because ITAM is broadly usually focused on cleaning up a lot of mess. And what we need to try and change in the market is building a business dependency on the function to make better choices up front. Because how many companies have made a best intention decision because it improves performance of a technology, but they didn't understand the underlying licensing implication and they introduced this horrific risk. And, and when I say horrific risk, some of the, the bad, you don't find them in the press, but obviously you've been in this game for a while as well, Rich. 
we've seen audit settlements over half a billion dollars. You know, the, the initial request from the publisher from a few technical or architectural mistakes, these aren't a million dollar problems. They become hundreds of millions of dollars problems. Now, I'm being sympathetic, but that's what drove our market 15 years ago. So, so we wouldn't be here if there weren't those kind of complexities and problems. But those disruptive technologies, the ever-changing landscape, and obviously how ITAM's trying to support with better choices and better decisions, it, it's not formed. And as you've mentioned, it will be an, an evergreening, ever, ever-going life cycle here. Because now we go through another change in the market, right? So the, the latest one's going to be the cloud. And that changes absolutely everything. That old SAM program that you used to have on-premise counting licenses and cutting ELPs isn't, isn't going to deliver you value through transformation. And now this data lives all over the place. Um, it's not just in the one place. So how does everybody deal with those challenges? Here, here's the next cycle. Um, and again, it's usually an afterthought. Oh, if this might save me some money, it might improve efficiency, I can get out of my data center, let's go and do it. But what impact does it have on everything else? What impact does it have on the rest of your software investments? Because those things aren't going away anytime soon. And all of the messaging in the market is obviously clouds taking over. But, but when you're 100,000 users, how easy is it to get out of the data center business? When you're running technology that might be 20 years old with an app dependency, those are, those are real big challenges. And, and what we're seeing in the space around cloud is the bigger, more complicated you are, obviously the bigger the prize, but my goodness, it's a really difficult process to try and get out of data centers, modernize into pairs, modernize into SaaS. I, c I consider that to be running for the next decade minimum as well. And um, some people are much quicker. And if you've got the opportunity to go straight to cloud, we love those initiatives. And it's very interesting and it buys people a lot of great opportunity. But for those people going on the journey, well, you know, I'm, I'm sympathetic about the complexity and the cost of making some of these major changes. 100%, yeah. And I think the, the point that you make about ITAM generally only getting involved after the fact, um, you know, in an ideal world, it, it would be, you know, any big initiative, ITAM would be, you know, involved from, from the early stages. Um, and I think it's, you know, value that ITAM can can show to the business where, you know, if you've done a big project, but then you have to spend two years cleaning up afterwards and spending all this extra money that you weren't expecting, etc. I think if ITAM can explain to the business, look, come and talk to us first and you know, let's solve these problems before they occur, cloud projects will run smoother. They'll be on budget, if not cheaper. Um, I, I think being proactive as an ITAM professional and you know, go into the business and saying, look, this is how we can help you. Um, I, I think there's a lot of value for, for, for a lot of people there. It, the, but the issue there is what, what this market needs to do is have a lot of good news stories and positive impact, because what you're talking about is a utopian position. But in your experience, Rich, how many people are appropriately invested in ITAM? I mean, I, I can go and speak to a large enterprise customer who's spending hundreds of millions of dollars on software, and they might have five people trying to do this job. And those poor people, how on earth do you retain the level of expertise across major software publishers, dealing with audits, how to transform the cloud, managing data? It's so multidisciplinary. 
I, I, I very rarely walk into a customer who's got the appropriate skill and number of resources to try and have that positive impactful change because those those people might be just drowning in tickets dealing with software requests desperately trying to calculate elps pre-renewal so how much bandwidth do they have to go and have a positive impact of change it, it's broadly an underinvested part of the business but when you do it right it's transformative millions and millions of dollars I mean, people do make decisions blindly without the right levels of data. And what we need to do as a community here is promote the value of this proposition. So customers see where the huge commercial opportunity is and whichever model they decide to operate, whether that's built internally, outsourced by a technology, whatever it happens to be. The first thing this community needs to do is promote the value of ITAM. And then everybody can go and promote the value of their own business to, as, as a potential solution. And, and each customer will be broadly different. But, uh, but I do see underinvestment with these large customers or, or small customers, um, which is really hampering those professionals' capability to have this positive, impactful change. Because as we all know, you just get bogged down with the monotonous day-to-day. -day. Um, and that's an operational task, but it's not helping people move the needle. And in an environment where everything changes all the time, sometimes you just need time for these people to educate themselves because you can't keep up with everything. You can't be PhD level on every publisher and every proposition. People need time to learn all of these changes in technologies. And it will never be utopian as we would love it to be. Um, but I think if people made the right levels of investment in their own internal functions or with services or whatever that happens to be, um, it can obviously make a really profound change. And, and we experience that with customers who are broadly greenfield. You know, like I said, some customers have, are really just starting on the journey. And every time you take a look at something, there's a great opportunity because no one's ever looked before. And, and especially in this climate, Rich, you know, we've, I've had experience with banking, tech, who just have all the money in the world. And five, six years ago, Broadly, sometimes you would find an attitude which is we're OK with it because we're making so much money on the top line. Yeah, the software is increasing, probably could be better, but everything's going great. Well, guess what a global pandemic and a tight economy does? <laughs> it, <laughs> it changes your attitudes pretty quickly. And we're seeing a huge surge in requirement for, to reduce costs in companies who perhaps didn't care as much as perhaps they should have five or ten years ago. Well, now everyone's interested and everybody really wants to take that first look as revenues reduce, as the climate becomes slightly more uh, pressurized um, with everything that's going on in the market. Now, I think we'll probably see a, a, a secondary push for people who perhaps didn't pay enough attention. But now, now they want to know why these software budgets go up by 20% every term, but their business doesn't grow by 20% every term. Now people are starting to ask questions about their bill of materials or whether they really need this stuff or whether there's a better way to buy it. Um, and again, it's that, I suppose it's that, that negative market environment that is starting to drive hopefully some attention, which, which isn't the perfect buying signal because we'd love them all to be positive. But for this ITAM community, I think everybody now has to latch on to what's going on in the market and start to build solutions for customers that meet those demands. And those solutions aren't cookie cutter. It's not the same 
ELP cyclical service, giving you visibility and control of risk. Now we've all got to do something a bit more dynamic because the software's changed, the cloud stuff's changed, the business has changed, and the intentions, you know, the objectives of these people have changed. And, it, and it's our jobs as a community to, to react to that um, and have a more dynamic way to deliver to our customers to make sure it's it's meeting their business needs. And I know that kind of sounds like buzzword bingo, but I'm seeing a I'm seeing a profound change in what customers are asking for, um, which means we all have to innovate. And uh, that is challenging. You know, it's always going to be a challenge as we as we try and keep up with uh, a changing investment landscape. Absolutely. Uh, and I think that point, you know, that it was a little bit before my time in in terms of being involved in the world of ITAM, but the, the sort of 2008 financial crisis, uh, I, I've spoken to several people over the years who actually, in terms of ITAM, you know, that, that was a bit of a positive. And, mm. and, you know, that crunch, exactly as you said, made people look around and think, right, where can we reduce costs? Um, and I think now exactly the same thing, but possibly... You know, with with SaaS and with cloud, it's I think it's fair to say it's easier to show a more immediate impact. You know, it you're no longer sort of renegotiating a contract. You know, that will come up in two years or three years if you if you do some some things with SaaS or with cloud. You know, potentially next month the the, the impact is um, obvious to the business. So I think now it is a very good time even for those item functions which are massively understaffed and overworked and things and obviously it's easy for me to say it um but i think now is a good time for everyone to to try and look at how can they help the business achieve the the goals yes and, and you need to do it in an informed way because when the economy tightens not only are people interested in cost savings but what's the reaction of the publisher community when their revenues drop? And we all know the key suspects here. And the, there are there are people who have moved in and out of that market. So if you've got a wonderful cloud proposition, and people probably know the vendors I'm talking about here, you might want to grade down your order activity. Because I think what some of these publishers worked out is, what's the worst way to attract someone to my cloud? Pinning them with a $10 million bill on premise, and then telling them that they should migrate into iCloud. Okay, <laughs> so that's not the model. But there's other publishers out there who perhaps don't have a strong enough proposition. And I'm nudge, nudge, wink, wink. Everyone probably knows what I'm talking about here too. And when the revenues fall, there's only one card left to play. And obviously, if you're under investor in an item and you haven't been paying attention, you're going to get a nasty shock. And those nasty shocks are still out there. Um, and they do drive item because people do want protection. Um, uh, and therefore, we, we obviously need to provide those protective services to make sure that these customers um, are treated properly based on the investments that they make. People do make mistakes, but they shouldn't necessarily be penalised as badly um, as perhaps uh, as sometimes they are. And, and then in answer to your other point here, Rich, approach the cloud with caution. It's a great technology and it will fundamentally change the way you run your business. Where are the benefits? Well, it's going to make life a lot easier. And it's not going to remove your compliancy risk, but compliancy becomes a little bit more sophisticated, right? 
are you misusing this? Are you doing API connections? Are you getting indirect access? You can still go down that road, but broadly, if you haven't paid for it, you're not allowed to use it. You know, it just doesn't come online. But approach this with caution, because if you're making a snap decision to make a short term saving, but you're making long term commitments without the contractual protection to give you flexibility, either through the term or at the end of the term, well, now you're on the drug and you can't get off. So compliancy might not be a problem for you, but the new risk of compliancy is dramatic overspend and sprawl. And we see people making major hundreds of millions of dollars worth of investments in cloud providers without the visibility, without the governance, with no way to measure how much they use and actually no way to get out. So now you've made an investment of $100 million. You're stuck on it for three years. The contract won't let you get out. You don't have flexibility in the proposition. The market changes and now you're stuck. So it's, it's great if you're on a dynamic billing model. You know, if you're running an IaaS provider and you switch off a machine, you stop paying for the machine. Well, it doesn't work like that for the enterprise if you're, if you're managing a massive SaaS provider. So now you're stuck. Let's say you get a global pandemic and your business goes down by 50%. <laughs> that publish you're in. There's nothing you can do about it. You need to think very logically about the long-term implications of cloud. We're huge advocates of it. There's, there's, you can't swim against the tide. It's coming. We all need to be prepared for it. We all need to help our customers with planning transformation and the management of these cloud providers. But again, we're seeing snap decisions being made with long-term commitments, three to five-year deals. I got a 10% discount, or even if it's a 90% discount. This is the cliche we've talked about forever. It's great that you got a 90% discount, but you bought 80% too much product. So how good's that deal for you if you're doing it blind? Um, and so we know the transformation and you know it, it's obvious what this can do for the market, um, but everybody has to be cautious. And we see bad deals every day. Why do we see bad deals? Lack of expertise, lack of data, lack of resourcing in those ITAM functions. People make decisions with the best intentions, but they could be making better decisions. And, and cloud, it doesn't simplify things. <laughs> it kind of makes it more complicated. 10 years ago, all your data could live in one tool, right? You go deploy your SAM tool, you put all your contracts in, you've got a, cent a centralized location for all your ITAM data. Not anymore, you know, not anymore. That data might live in a thousand different locations. You might not even know that you're consuming some of those services. So how do you deal with that? You know, the, the, everything's changed. And, and, and now these companies are, are, are absolutely going on the journey of cloud. But just like making poor decisions on major software contracts, there's a huge risk to overcommitting and not managing things like sprawl. This isn't kind of a set it and forget it model, quite the opposite. Completely agree with that, Simon. I mean, there's loads of good points in there. I think with the, the long-term contracts, something that I see a, a worrying amount is organizations either not considering or overestimating uh, the the time it takes to roll things out. So, you know, you, you buy a three-year SaaS subscription, but then it's six months before anyone starts to look at it. Then you need to do a 12-month testing, you know, with 15 people. And then before you know it, you've, you're halfway through your contracts and you've, you've not used it. Mm. Um, and I think lots of, you know, the vendors, if you push them, you know, you can 
ramp these contracts up over time. But like you said, people get blinded by the big discount. Um, <clears throat> spending less money on something that you're not going to use is still more expensive than not spending any money at all. Yeah, and that that's why that's why where we all need to get to here is the dependencies on this function. The function's not coming to mop up the mess. Because what will happen is you get a rep who calls your SVP or be a budget holder, says, I'll do your sweetheart deal if you do something by my end of year. It sounds too good to be true. And you're absolutely right, Rich. It either doesn't get rolled out, half of it doesn't get rolled out. You roll it out too much and there's a nasty surprise coming. That's, that's real item at that stage. It's about planning and forecasting. It's about working with the rest of the organization to understand that in more detail. Because sometimes executives can make these snap decisions because they think they're doing right by the business. But functionally, it's almost impossible to roll those things out. And there are, there are horror stories all over the market where people either didn't roll it out or they dual run and their costs just go up and up and up and up. So that, and, and you're right. Vendors are, if you, can, if you can go to a publisher with good quality data, absolute confidence, the expertise to know exactly what you're asking for, you approach them in the right manner at the right time of year, you can take the authoritative position in that negotiation. We talk to customers about this all the time. It's such an unfair playing field for a customer to make an investment with a software publisher, right? The software publisher's full-time job is selling things to its customers. That's what they do every single day. You as a customer might get an opportunity to buy from that publisher once every three to five years. And you only get to do it for you. You've got no idea what your competitors are getting. You've got no idea what your neighbors are getting. And you think you're doing the best that you can. But how on earth can you ever know? That is not a fair playing field. And, and, and again, the cliche in this space is if you're going to your publisher asking how much stuff you want to buy, they're going to tell you an awful lot. <laughs> they'll, sell, they'll sell you the farm. But, but if you walk into that negotiation with a very clear, accurate picture of exactly what you need, when you need it, the terms that you're willing to, to take, if you understand a publisher intimately enough so you know the areas they're interested in, aka, if I'm going to buy licenses, I might get a little bit of interest. If I'm going to buy some cloud solutions, I'm going to get an awful lot of interest. How do we package this model up to try and even a playing field for you as a customer so, so you're not being taken advantage of or making blind decisions in this traditional way of asking for products, then selling you products, but, but not really understanding intimately enough about your business. That's not, that's not a fair world to live in. That's why the spend goes up 20%. That's why it's impossible sometimes to true down. None of that is, is done correctly. But if you approach in the right way and you've got certain things to trade with, you know, certain investments that that, that, um, that publisher really wants, you can get phenomenal terms, amazing things that you didn't even think were possible. If you have the right information, the right approach. And again, if you have enough time, because those, how many people, how many procurement people do you think sit down and go, I've had loads of time to do my EA this year. <laughs> I've got all the right data. All of my stakeholders are playing ball. I know exactly what the portfolio of products is. Um, I know this changing marketplace. I understand what this publisher is interested in. I know how I'm benchmarked and what price discount. 
Who's ever said that? <laughs> it's quite the opposite. It's fraught panic, it's headless chickens, and it's doing the best you can in the time you've got available. And then the other thing, Rich, that person is negotiating all of the software. They're not deep on Microsoft. They can't be. They're not deep on IBM. They're not deep on SAP. They have to do all three of those publishers. So how, how can they retain that level of expertise? It's not, it's not a fair space. People do the best they possibly can. There's differing levels of maturity, but there is a way to, to um, change the dynamic as you're, you're, uh, you're dealing with the people that you're buying software, cloud and services from. And the way to do it is by having a much more intimate understanding of your requirement than them, having good and accurate data and allowing yourself to take control. That, that's where we see it being successful, but it's tough. It's very tough based on that dynamic between, uh, between these suppliers and customers. Yeah, and it, it sort of ties back in with the, the earlier point about being understaffed as well, that, you know, the, if you, even if you, you know, even if you had the time, if you haven't got the people, you, you can't do it either. Um, and I think the thing about multiple vendors is is very important. So, you know, I, I'm I'm happy if I went to, to work in a, a customer organization, I could do a, a, a pretty decent job negotiating a Microsoft agreement because that's my yeah. background. But if you ask me to do the same thing, well, literally for any other software vendor, Oracle, IBM, Microfocus, whatever it might be, I, I, I don't know. You know, I don't even know what products some of them sell. I, I would consider myself like you, Rich. I'm a generalist, right? I know a bit about everything, but I'm not a mile deep on anything whatsoever. That, I, I kind of have to be based on based on the job I do. So, so how do you, some of this stuff is PhD level. I mean, how many ways can you license a, a SQL box? What are the implications? A bit easier now. But back in the day, there was like 15 ways to license the same box in a different scenario. Which one has a different implication? Understanding the licensing rules is incredibly complex. Then when you map that onto your environment and the differing ways that you consume technology, colos, virtualization, physical servers, whatever it happens to be, well, there's an extra layer of complexity. Then there's different ways that you can buy it. So different kinds of agreements. And then you're talking about the negotiation strategy. I mean, how, how on earth do these people sleep at night? <laughs> it must be terrifying <laughs> when you're walking into a 50, 60, whatever million dollar pound or euro investment and sometimes we're dealing with customers who might never have done that investment they've never dealt with that publisher so it's um not only do you need bodies but you need depth of experience in in these major investments i don't think a customer could ever attain capabilities across everything we're a service provider rich we can't go a mile deep on everything there's too much out there anybody who tells you they can go a mile deep on every software publisher is obviously they're naive or they're lying so you can retain some real deep capability on those major publishers, as you should, because the investments are appropriate to do so. Um, but the, the implications of everything, and now cloud's coming. You know, we, we, were, we were talking to a, um, a customer the other day. How do you manage licenses in a container? <laughs> well, it depends how you built the container. It depends what licenses you use. It depends what data you're getting available. So cloud's not making our lives any easier. In fact, now you've got a brand new wave of technology where you're trying to deal with your old proprietary licenses because you still need to run them and you've got different ways to consume them and, and different options so now we're just seeing this additional layer of complexity across all of the publishers and all of the different ways that you can consume it it's a massive it's a massive undertaking 
And obviously, if it's not done correctly, you're either not spending enough money and you're going to get a nasty surprise or you're spending way, way too much money. And, and that's the interesting thing about this area. We had, uh, so I've spoken to customers in the past, Rich, and they said, well, we never get audited. And they were very proud. And I went, well, that means you're spending way too much money. <laughs> that's not a good sign. <laughs> that's very true, actually. That's a good point. Yeah, we, we hear that a lot. You know, people assuming that they're not getting audited because that means that they're, you know, they're doing everything perfect and, you know, they've got a reputation for being, uh, you know, there's no point auditing them because you, you won't get anything out of them. But but actually, is it is it the other way? Is it, as you've said, that there's no point auditing them because you're, you're earning enough out of them anyway? Why would you why would you audit your golden goose? Why would you try and scare them away? Yeah, they're, they're all they're all bad signs. But but we are, you know, as I mentioned earlier, we are see, seeing people wake up to that becoming far more interested and building that dependency, which is, you know, for someone who's very passionate about this industry is music to my ears. As you see this evolve, you would, you would have thought as a, as a supplier, Rich, I'd be disappointed when I walk into a customer who's doing it properly. I'm not, I'm thrilled. It means people are investing in this space. And if people are investing in this space and it's driving opportunity, that means it will proliferate and more and more people invest in the space. Like I said, the first challenge for our community is get people invested in this concept, get them understanding the value and get them thinking about all these opportunities. And then it's up to us where they buy that stuff from. You know, who's the better model for that and however they want to consume it. But we all need to get the message out that there's a great deal of value behind this proposition. If you do it properly, properly, if you invest in it properly, if you buy yourself the appropriate amounts of time. I think yeah. uh, I think we're still scratching the surface in this space um, because, like I said, Everyone, everyone who consumes software or cloud should be doing this, and they probably should be doing it slightly better than they're doing today. Couldn't agree more. Um, and yeah, I think you know, I mean, the the mission statement for us here at ITAM Review is, is you know, we want ITAM to become sort of as ubiquitous as finance, for example. You know, you, you wouldn't run a business without a finance department. So why would you run a business without an ITAM department? Um, that's where ultimately we want to get to um and you know there, there are some organizations that, that we talk to where things are like that you know they are involved and, and everything is going going the way it should be but they are you know sort of few and far between um and I, I think a lot of it is around that showing the value um I, I think speaking to some some people at our conference last week one of the things is something like an audit is a, a very visible incident and you can show to the business look it was going to be x because of what we did now it's only y so you know there you can see what we do um, and i think sometimes the the struggle is is how do you show value in, you know just every day in general yeah. and and i think that's where maybe as an industry we need to be better yeah and and that, so that that um that milestone, that audit milestone, um, is the one that used to get us all of our introductions rich. And, and we still get a few that way. Um, but it's still a negative purchase because we would roll into a customer with a $50 million settlement on the table and we might pull it down to one or two by doing it properly and keeping that, that uh, publisher or the auditor honest. Um, 
but you still got to go to a CFO and say, write the check for two. I know you weren't, you weren't, <laughs> I know you weren't planning on it. I know it's unbudgeted. I know you're already spending $100 million with this provider, but now you need to write a check. And then what we would do is go, and could you write us a check too? <laughs> why, don't you, why don't you write another check for us so we can stop this from ever happening again? This is why the managed service is so important, Rich. And it's, there's so many areas to focus on to drive value where you can get traction within an organization. And I'm thinking internally, you know, if you're an ITAM professional within a customer, it's about whether you can get engaged in these particular areas. Because just know every day, tons of people are requesting software, tons of people are changing software, tons of people are transforming software. You're making purchases every month, you're going through a renewal cycle every month, you're getting audited all the time. You've got cloud services over here, you've got SaaS services over there. The landscape's so broad, you need to focus on where those opportunities are. And this needs to be a value approach. Don't go after something that costs you $50,000 that you can't move the needle on. We can't cover everything, and, and nor should you have to. Go after those big ticket items, make a positive impact on those. With data, commercial expertise, whatever that happens to be, get some good news stories and then expand your capabilities. But you just need to be mindful. We do see some customers trying to boil oceans, right? We're gonna go big bang, we're gonna buy the tool, we're gonna to hire 40 people, and we're gonna get this right. Just like what you said about other investments, I have seen, and I'm sure you have seen, many of those fail to deliver value for two or three years. All that does is give this function a bad reputation. If the tool didn't go in in time, if you missed the renewal, if you didn't protect the audit, you know, as well as trying to promote good news stories, obviously bad, you know this in the, in the general uh, climate, but anyway, bad news travels fast. ITAM didn't do this. You need to avoid those areas making too bold commitments and setting clear expectations. Phasing services, phasing programs is the right way to do this. Prove value, expand your capability. Go after those big publishers. Once you've got them under control, once you've driven some value, once you've helped transform the cloud, once you've reduced some cost, once you've batted away a few audits, go after the next five. Then go after some processes. How are we doing software requests? Can we improve our user experience here? You know, how do we provision all these new technologies? How do we deliver a better service to our business? That might be do not dollars with your investments, but it certainly improves the capability. It, there's so much stuff going on. There's so many touch points with these investments that you try and need to try, you know, that, that ongoing capability to drive value is critical. And it, and it raises a very, uh, you know, another very interesting point. If you're an ITAM professional within an end user, if you're a service provider, some of the biggest challenges is trying to explain to your business why you should be doing this, because they might not know. They know they've got some bad experiences, but how do you justify these investments to either buy technology, increase your internal teams, go to service providers? It's a massive challenge, because the other thing that good ITAM has to compete with is good enough ITAM. And we see some of that too. We save some money on reharvesting. We haven't been audited for five years. We're doing a great job, but it's not as good as it could be. And people don't know the art of the possible sometimes for all of the reasons that we've discussed. The depth of expertise, the availability of resources, the ever-changing landscape. Sometimes it can be incredibly challenging to promote the value of ITAM to the point where people are willing to invest and the only way to do it is with good news. And, and my advice to that market is 
focus on something individual. Don't try and bore the ocean. Get some good news stories and then expand your capability and push that out. Trust me, if you save a bunch of money on something, you will start getting a huge amount of attention from other people who own other products and other investments. And then we've got this snowball effect where you can really start to drive value and get super sophisticated in some of those capabilities. And I'm excited about that, Rich. I'm excited about what's going to come next. I'm excited about how sophisticated ITAM can become, how good some of the technology is becoming in the market, how good some of the service providers are in the market. You know, we're, we're seeing transformative capabilities against some of this technology, real needle movers, which is incredibly encouraging. You would have thought after being in this space for 20 or so years, you know, it might have, it might have become stale because the technology change, it ne it's never getting stale. As long as we can all transform with this ever-changing requirement, ITAM is going to be essential forever. And I'd like it to be more essential than it is today. I want it, what you said is perfect, Rich, like a finance team. No one's going to operate without them. And, uh, and obviously you guys do, do, do a great job of building a community so people can talk outside of, you know, just trying to buy things. They can talk to each other and they can listen to service providers. And that's, uh, I think that's very, very valuable. Let, let's promote the capability of ITAM together um, and let's get this you know let's get companies fully dependent and bought into that message um, and, and the more value we drive the more investment we can attract the more sophisticated we can all become I think that's um, like I said it's very encouraging for me to see after a couple of decades that we're kind of just getting started completely agree and I think that is probably a, an excellent point to, to end this podcast uh, because I feel if we're not careful, we could still be here tomorrow. Um, we, we, we've both we could, got uh, so much to say. Yeah, we'll, we'll take on Joe Rogan. We're going to have a seven-hour <laughs> item podcast. Yeah, let, let's do it. Uh, we'll, have a, <laughs> we'll have a Spotify uh, contract before you know it. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll sort that out later. We'll share it. Sound, sounds like a plan. Um, but no, I mean, you know, that, that's a great sort of summation of what we've been talking about there, Simon, that, uh, that point you made about, you know, the... The, the good news and, and building something and um, you know not trying to do everything at once uh, and I think sometimes you know everyone out there sometimes you do even if you've you've not got enough time and you've not got enough people you do need to take that step back and say right actually what are we doing and which bits of it could we do you know next month or, or next year even you know and which bits should we do now and and you know try and plan a, a strategy i think um so so that yeah i, I think that there's loads of great stuff in everything that, that you, you've said there um and hopefully it will give people some food for thought and you know uh, an insight into where where the market's going how managed services you know may well be able to help them and and how they can take some steps to to build the profile of ITAM within their organization and, and of course you know if enough people can do it inside their organizations then it will um it will reflect across the industry indeed yeah ho hopefully hopefully you're hearing some passion in my sentiment from from myself and and from Livingstone um, and there are a, a great deal of passionate individuals in this space, Rich. That's one thing I can say about the ITAM community. People really care um, and they're very, very focused on these particular areas. So, you know, I'd like to take the opportunity to thank you 
for the platform, Rich, so we can start to get the message out. I've really enjoyed the conversation, so um, I really appreciate it. I mean, I, I've really enjoyed it. Yeah, thanks, thanks for your time. And um, I've got a feeling, you know, this probably won't be the last podcast we do together. There's there's plenty more to talk about. Um, so, yeah, so, so thank you for your time. Thank you, everyone out there for, for downloading and listening. Hope you've enjoyed it. And um, I will see you on the next podcast or webinar or conference or event that, that we run. And, um, and Simon, I, I look forward to our, our next podcast or, or whatever it might be when we uh, we next chat thanks rich really appreciate it